This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Talk money to me. Hello and welcome to Talk Money To Me. This is your Need To Know Financial Podcast. I'm Candice Burke. And I'm Felicity Thomas. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're bringing you another one of our special guest interviews. So today, we're actually joined by Frank Yu from Ali Bridge Group and Julius Garafali, one of our colleagues from Shoreham Partners. Firstly, a little bit about Frank. So Frank founded Ali Bridge Group in 2013 and is the Chief Executive Officer and Chief Investment Officer. In this capacity, Frank is responsible for setting firm-wide strategic initiatives and leading investment objectives across high-impact life sciences transactions in private and public markets globally. What a wrap. And I guess a little bit more background on Frank you know, you, you are regarded as one of the top private equity healthcare fund managers globally. And that's because his mandate and his skill set is really investing in world leading late stage life science companies, which fulfill significant unmet medical needs and most of all, help save people's lives. So in doing so, Frank has produced a gross IRR of 45% for his investors across his several funds since 2010. That is very impressive. And I guess to help unpack the exciting opportunities that we're going to be hearing um, from Frank in the life science space. We're also joined, like Felicity said, with one of our colleagues here at Shoreham Partners, Julius, uh, who is a senior private wealth advisor, like us here at Shoreham Partners, but has a few more grey hairs than us. Um, <laughs> he's got about 20 years under his belt at Shoreham Partners, and we're going to be hearing his version of how he met Frank, and I'm sure Frank's version of how he met Julius, and also we'll be asking Julius his thoughts on the private equity space in general. So, so welcome, gentlemen, both to the podcast. Thank you very much, uh, Candice and Felicity. It's a great honor to be here and great pleasure to share uh, my experience with you all. Thank you, Candice and Felicity. It's a joy to be here doing this podcast with you both. Awesome. We're very excited to have you both on the show today, and we can't wait to hear your thoughts on the PE market in general, as well as your expertise in the healthcare sector. But before we do, quickly, here comes our disclaimer. So our chat today is not personal advice. Even though we're registered financial advisors at Shoreham Partners, please note that the podcast and the content discussed does not constitute financial advice, nor is it a financial product. Now, everything discussed is based on facts that we know at the time of this recording to be correct and the date is the 18th of May 2022. All right now that that's out of the way to start things off we've been lucky enough to be introduced to you Frank by Julius so I know there's a bit of a funny story about how you two met so Julius can you give us a bit of background on how you actually met Frank and what drew you to him? Yeah, so I, I met Frank through um, a very well-respected uh, investment banker fund manager out of Melbourne. Uh, we flew to um, Hong Kong during the Art Basel conference, Credit Suisse Private Banking Conference back in uh, May 2019. We went to visit the world's leading uh, fund managers, which basically all congregate for that that one uh, specific time of year. We met Frank, uh, funnily enough, in um, in a restaurant um, in the Conrad 
uh, sat next to Frank. It, it's not always easy to get a meeting with Frank. It was it was just purely tailing the back of this uh, very close friend and mentor of mine who had known Frank for, uh, and followed his work for 10 years um, uh, throughout his banking career at Goldman's and, um, and, and through his time at Alley Bridge and didn't get much of a background on Frank pre the dinner, but I sat next to Frank, obviously, uh, besides his in-depth um, knowledge on Burgundy wines, he uh, absolutely blew me away on the type of world-leading human impact, uh, life-saving uh, medical device, telehealth, uh, medtech companies that he had been investing in in his career as a specialist uh, investor in healthcare. And um, it just became more and more apparent that as human population continues to grow and therefore more and more problems um, continue to grow in parallel with that, that there is a there is a very much thirst and need for um, for more of these instruments and companies to save human lives and keep obviously human beings out of hospital and and uh, you know protect the, themselves insurance companies alike. The type of things he was coming up with, uh, which would, would basically we don't really see much of this in Australia. It's Silicon Valley in Europe who's talking about things like uh, detecting cancer early or a one-hour procedure, minimal invasive procedure that would prevent you being in ICU for two weeks. And this would literally be a, a, a very, very precise surgery that would take an hour and you could literally walk home. And, and therefore, I, I just blown away thinking that, well, if these people can get a surgery done, that's going to save their life within an hour, which accelerates the, uh, well, even removes almost um, the, the whole impact of, of healing just through this minimal uh, invasive procedure that, that all doctors moving forward will be using. I, just, I was just absolutely blown away. And I thought this is something that we really need to get access to in Australia. There's a huge hole of diversity in this country. I mean, in Australia, we're, we're really, really huge in resources. We're providing the world's uh, you know, finished products and resources. We're taking care of that need. And and then um, domestically, where um, our GDP huge contribution is property. But outside of that, what are we investing in? And, you know, I know that all of us here know, you know, these world-leading companies, CSL, Cochlear, ResMed, Sonic Healthcare. But besides those companies to, to get access to as an investor, where else do you go? And um, the types of world-leading uh, investments that Frank was making in terms of the FDA-approved uh, businesses making um, a, you know meaningful revenue, saving human lives, and delivering significant unmet medical needs are a must in in uh, not just our clients' portfolios, but um, I think investors in Australia wide in in, in general. So uh, look, I was blown away. Walked after I met Frank for about an hour and a half, two hours, and a, a huge knowledge of, of of what he was doing, and also a huge knowledge after that of his Burgundy wines. <laughs> Went back to the hotel, did a full fledged. Uh, uh, due diligence on on him as a profile and his website, and, and I was having a look at the investments that he had done in terms of his co-investment roles with um, Bezos Expeditions, Gates Foundation, Bristol Myers, Merck, Johnson and Johnson, some of these Silicon Valley based businesses that we would never get ever get access to being here in Australia. And I thought it was, he was just my gatekeeper, my my unicorn to 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 basically grab grab the horns on and um and and open this up to all my client base and short client base here in, in australia well should we just wrap the podcast now because that was a great intro and uh can't do much better than that no so frank what did you think when you first met julius as well do you remember uh, yes uh, uh you know everything he said was uh, very true you know i wasn't sure about what uh, australia means to our business three years ago. And uh, he was one said, I strongly believe, you know, being a wealth manager for many years in Australia, uh, your product could have a very strong audience in Australia. I was very skeptical. 
uh, I didn't believe him. And then he was very persistent and then texting me, emailing me and saying, hey, you got to come to Australia, check it out uh, to see if we can uh, work together. You know, so it took me several months to decide to uh, make a day trip to uh, Sydney from Hong Kong to see uh, how real it is. And after I spent hours with him, you know, I was uh, leaning towards giving him a shot. Uh, you know, several months later, I went to Sydney again to give a first presentation to um, uh, many clients of uh, Show and Partners, uh, hosted by Julius. And then, you know, since then, uh, we were able to um, to, to attract, uh, you know, a significant amount of uh, capital from Australia. Uh, the last fund, feeder fund set up by um, uh, Show and Partners, your firm, uh, successfully invested in our last PE fund and uh, contributed a significant capital base. And I expect that to um, uh, increase significantly. I think what tells me the following, number one, uh, Australia uh, has got uh, a very strong wealth creation. Uh, number two is that increasingly I see uh, Aussie investors who are successful, uh, well-educated, uh, and uh, globally minded. Uh, they are really increasingly looking to uh, diversify their uh, investment holdings. Uh, therefore, you know, more and more of these investors are becoming uh, investors in, a, in our fund and, and uh, more and more uh, come into what we do. Uh, so this is very encouraging. I really uh, see now Australia uh, being a very important capital base for uh, our cutting-edge uh, life science uh, investments, and uh, most of which are in the U.S. Yeah, that's really great to hear. So, Frank, can you give us a little bit more of some background information on how you actually got into life sciences? Yeah, um, you know, I, I know early on that I would never be a scientist, never be a medical doctor, or never be an engineer. Uh, I just happened to be born into a family of four doctors, including my mother. So I grew up with uh, uh, many doctors around me, and then I respect them a lot, um, including my family members who are doctors. You know, they really uh, saved and improved many people's lives. And uh, after I got into finance, actually was at a Goldman Sachs, uh, I started interacting with my colleagues in a healthcare group in New York. Uh, so I concluded that, uh, you know, this is an extremely technically demanding uh, business. Uh, if you have the know-how, very few people are able to do what you're able to do. Uh, but also you need uh, very strong uh, knowledge and experience in financing. And uh, therefore, uh, I made my first life science investment in medical device company 11 years ago, which uh, did very well. And that was uh, the turning point in my investment career. Uh, ever since then, I've started to focus on life science. So there's been uh, 11 years yeah, obviously since about uh, five, six years ago, uh, we decided, Island Bridge decided to focus only on life science investing and nothing else. So we are 100% dedicated to uh, life sciences, but they all have to be cutting edge. Also, we're not an early stage uh, venture capital investor. Uh, we primarily focus on those cutting edge uh, life science technologies, mostly in the U.S. Uh, after proof of concept. And then many of which, uh, the majority of which already post-FDA approval, uh, many of which are already generating significant revenue and are growing very fast. And that is uh, the sweet spot of uh, Bridge's investment universe. Okay, so it's really late stage. Like you're saying, it's not a concept. It's it's an actual business model uh, with a track record and FDA approval or on that track, which is interesting to hear. I guess taking it back a step, just a general question for you both, and I'd love to hear your perspectives. What is the the checklist, the metrics, the investment kind of criteria that you look for just generally in the private equity space? 
What, what, what do you have to see there for you to go, I'm excited, Julius, you first? For, for me and my client base, um, it's more about the nearer term to liquidity. We all like to see, I mean, we're all used to having the option, therefore, you know, people invest in the share market, having the option to liquidate it, you know, in the time that they want. But then in the other half of the client base, which would normally have maybe 90% of their net worth is in property, it is e-liquid. So I think when they see private equity, uh, I think both of those come into into mind. And I think if we can get that two to three years with the view of liquid, liquidating with a meaningful return of 30 to 50%, I think that is 100% acceptable. And I find that majority of my, my client base and, and even my software capacity I think a lot of these VC funds, although they can make tremendous amount of returns, um, you know, up to a thousand percent and whatnot, I mean, you're stuck in there for a decade, and it just seems like a very long time. It can sit uncomfortable. That's what I look for. What I also look for, and I think it's more than mandatory for most of us now, um, or desirable, is the lack of volatility. We've seen a lot of it in the previous couple of weeks, and, and even from October last year, then the Nasdaq, some of the top 200 Nasdaq stops have fallen as much as 80%. Some companies that we we never thought would ever do that. So I think if we can remove volatility and see a 30 to 50% return uh, within, say, two to three years, I think it's very hard to beat that, and that's what I look for. Yeah, and like you were saying, a real pure diversification that perhaps our market here in Australia can't offer. Um, and Frank, what's your take on it? Just generally in the private equity space, what do you look out for? Yeah, I mean, private equity is a huge uh, space, you know, so I would rather focus on the space we focus on, uh, which is uh, uh, life sciences uh, investing, especially on the private equity side. Of course, you know, what uh, Julius uh, referred to are exactly the things we're looking for, you know, uh, multiple costs of investment, how many X. Uh, over how long a period uh, that translates into IRR, right? So, you know, multiples of return uh, over how long equal to IRR uh, based on the calculation. So I would just say that, um, uh, you know, our having invested across different stages of uh, life science companies uh, and across all different uh, subsectors, you know, we really focus on our sweet spot. Again, uh, we work very closely with uh, some of the best uh, uh, venture capitalists, you know, who are extremely good at starting by companies and giving birth to uh, those companies uh, and then taking them through childhood uh, and then a teenagerhood uh, and then adulthood, right? Uh, but we are much more focused on, you know, those children that are already uh, have proven uh, they're very good in school uh, and then also they have a proven ability uh, to get into uh, the workforce, becoming a very uh, successful uh, employee or entrepreneur. And I think that's the kind of uh, uh, stage we're looking at. Uh, but also very importantly is that uh, the impact. Uh, you know, we are a um, well-recognized brand. Uh, for us, the impact. Uh, what kind of um, uh, technologies get into how much, how big of an impact we are having through that, uh, those companies on uh, the, the, the life and death of patients uh, and also uh, the quality of the life, you know. So the bigger the impact, uh, the more successful we see ourselves in addition to uh, great uh, financial returns, you know. So this is a very much of a social impact-driven uh, business. And uh, not only by money, we have to generate good returns. Otherwise, we're not in the business. In the meantime, all of our investments have to be 
are very impactful in terms of actual benefits to uh, human lives. Yeah, that's really nice to hear um, because I know not all fund managers are like that. So if we turn our focus to what you do best, Frank, which is obviously identifying the right healthcare company, could you go through your team's investment process before you decide to invest or not in a specific company? Yeah, for us, uh, it's a research, research, research. Um, you know, uh, what we focus on is, uh, you know, extremely technical uh, in terms of scientific, clinical, uh, and also financial analysis. You know, so uh, research is our number one uh, focus. And then we got, uh, you know, I would just say we have uh, over 20 well-trained people, experienced people, both investment professionals as well as a career uh, scientists, the overwhelming majority of our time, our effort really spent on researching, understanding the size, the technology, the clinical uh, data, uh, and also the commercial benefits, uh, commercial gains. You know, I think these are the things that we focus on. Uh, and then after we have a very good understanding of the size, the technology, and the products, uh, and then uh, you know uh, the returns, then we focus on how do we get in. And I think now more and more business is very much uh, uh, brand driven. You know, we don't need to knock on other people's doors. People come to us for our brand uh, because the brand uh, immediately adds a uh, premium uh, to the value of the companies we're investing into. Right. So at the end of the day, it's research, research, research. And then in the meantime, after we uh, go into the companies, we have to be able to add value whether it's in operations or in capital markets or in M&A for exits. Uh, so I think understand the company is a first critical step. But after that is that what you are able to do to create and to realize the value. Uh, of the money we'll put into the company. So there was obviously a lot of research, research, research going on last year because 2021 witnessed an impressive surge in the private equity um, space. I think the inflows were around $151 billion in your sector, the healthcare globally. And uh, when I, we were preparing for this podcast, we saw that inflows more than doubled uh, and the number of deals also soared 36% to, to 515, excuse me. So Frank, I guess, what were the driving forces behind this explosion in the PE sector? Um, and, you know, can we expect these records to continue? Like Julius touched on, it's very volatile at the moment in the markets. You know, what's your outlook and take on the PE space in the next, I guess, two years? Yeah, it's a great question. I think it's a very fundamental question uh, about how uh, the global uh, investment community uh, treats uh, investing in uh, life sciences or healthcare. And I would say that the number one driver of a huge um, uh, investment in uh, healthcare uh, was COVID. I mean, you, you saw this um, you know, huge uh, market sell-off upon COVID uh, becoming a pandemic in uh, uh, 2020. Uh, but then, you know, we saw it in a V-shape, a very sharp a V-shape recovery as uh, vaccines were being developed uh, at a rapid pace and effectively... Uh, and then, you know, already injected into hundreds of millions of uh, people around the world. And we saw the um, uh, very powerful effects against uh, uh, COVID and its uh, variants. You know, so uh, I would say uh, in recent uh, years, really COVID being a very specific uh, catalyst and a huge uh, catalyst of investment in cutting edge life science. Right. And then uh, as a result of that, the whole uh, global investor community 
uh, realize that no matter what happens to the world, uh, we must invest more and more of the capital into uh, life science innovation because uh, you know every one of us, our friends and family, all the other human beings on the planet, uh, will have to deal with these uh, medical needs, and especially those uh, unmet medical needs, uh, which are many, many uh, out there. Um, you know, so and also with the aging population, uh, and yet you know wealth creation increase the spending in healthcare, and uh, also uh, increase the investments in cutting edge. Uh, life science technology to address so many uh, unmet medical needs uh, become inevitable and irreversible. Yeah, well, that's kind of it because the only thing really guaranteed in life is death and taxes, right? So healthcare is a really important place to invest. Now, aside from COVID, what other major trends are you seeing sweeping through the healthcare um, investing industry at the moment? Yeah, I, I think the most fundamentally is uh, the need to address unmet medical needs okay but i mean that need has been around for since we were ever uh you know existed right uh but then you know i would say that with um, uh scientific uh, breakthroughs uh, over the past several decades especially driven by genetics and then all the um, uh, scientific discoveries that came out of that you know uh, driving towards uh, precision medicine uh, our ability uh, mankind's ability to address uh American needs and also um, a huge uh, capital market uh, in both the venture capital, growth capital, uh, and a public capital market are huge. And uh, you know, investors becoming more and more sophisticated. Uh, you know, with all that, you know, this is uh, definitely a sea change uh, as an investment uh, asset class uh, in uh, healthcare in general, but also increasingly in uh, life science innovation. And I guess one last question on COVID, because I'm sure us included and our listeners are probably over talking about it, but I guess what has been any opportunity that has been brought about by COVID-19 in, in your sector? You know, has it has it ramped up business models like we keep hearing? You know, the advancement of technology is even more important because of COVID. What about the integration of digital tools like AI? And I guess the overall resilience of the supply chain, which we're hearing a lot about that COVID's disrupting. What are your comments and thoughts on that side in in your um, in what you do on a day to day basis? Yeah, another uh, another great question. So I would say COVID has uh, uh, both uh, positive and uh, uh, negative impacts on uh, in our business in general, the life science business. I think, of course, the most positive by far is that uh, it really proved, you know, great science uh, uh, really work. Uh, with the right people and with a lot of uh, capital behind it, supporting it, uh, and also with a very strong government uh, uh, push to address this, uh, you know, very, very critical need. And, uh, you know, so that's a very, very positive. And, you know, that also helped to lift the whole sector of life science, right? I mean, look at how many billions of dollars of revenue have been generated from uh, vaccine uh, sales. Uh, and then uh, more and more uh, new products being uh, developed, you know. So in the meantime, uh, as more and more capital are put into life sciences uh, outside of uh, vaccines, uh, definitely some uh, are working out. And uh, so those are very positive. Of course, you know, COVID has um, uh, also negatively impacted many of our business. You know, some of the uh, many other uh, types of uh, diseases were um, put on the back burner uh, just because, uh, you know, hospitals prioritize the treatment of COVID patients 
Uh, so many, many medical procedures were delayed or on hold. Uh, so that's certainly impact of those businesses, especially during the earlier month of the pandemic. Uh, and then uh, uh, the second is that uh, uh, the capital markets, especially the public capital markets, you know, from hot to cold, uh, you know, so they say, wow, you know, a huge dividend uh, has been paid uh, for the COVID vaccine place. Uh, and then uh, all the other uh, uh, sectors may not be uh, as fast as generating these uh, concrete uh, benefits, right? So we've seen a huge uh, pull out of uh, a lot of capital on the public side. But in the meantime, uh, there's a lot of capital investing in cutting edge um, uh, life science innovation on the private side and not so much impacted by the public market. And we're going to get into that cutting edge life science um, interest that you're seeing. But before we do that, we're just going to take a short break to hear from our sponsors. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. And we're back. All right. So as IPOs and SPACs are coming under increased regulatory scrutiny, do you think more healthcare companies are looking to stay private for longer? Oh, that's a, a fantastic question. This is actually something that we've been thinking through every day. Uh, I would say we're very happy for ourselves, for our investors, that, uh, and then for those uh, uh, shore and partners clients, we invest in our last fund. Uh, the overwhelming majority of our portfolio, current portfolio, existing portfolio, are private companies. And uh, we, last year, made great decisions by keeping some of our best companies private, despite all of the great uh, temptations from the public market to go public, uh, IPO through IPO, or uh, through a DSPAC merger. Uh, as you may recall, last year in the U.S., SPAC was all the rage. Uh, and then I uh, fell out of favor, you know. So looking back, uh, we made a great decisions by keeping a number of our companies were extremely IPO uh, or merger ready, uh, kept them uh, private. And uh, so those companies are able to focus entirely on executing the business rather than being distracted uh, by the hugely uh, volatile public market. So we're very glad we made those decisions. So. Uh, I think in this kind of a market, staying private uh, is an advantage if uh, you were able to raise a lot of money uh, before the huge uh, market sell-off. Because if you are desperate for cash, this is a, a really um, a life or death uh, juncture for many companies. But uh, very happily uh, to report that uh, uh, you know our companies will very well fund it. 
uh, before the market crash, and they're able to ride through uh, this um, extremely bearish uh, market. Great. Well, for our listeners' benefit, a SPAC is actually a special purpose acquisition company. Um, so you've kind of answered our next question, basically saying that companies potentially are finding it harder to raise capital, but a lot of the companies in your funds are not because they're already fully funded uh, before we've gotten to this kind of climate. Yeah. So uh, I would say that we've seen a roller coaster uh, a ride with a SPAC. Uh, but, you know, uh, even though uh, it's an extremely difficult market segment, uh, after uh, several months of uh, being all the rage on the public market. So we've seen a kind of 180-degree anticlimactic uh, turn uh, for the SPAC market. But uh, still, they are uh, several superstars that have done very well. Uh, and also, we have our own SPAC, and we're very well positioned. Uh, but I think the key thing is the quality of the asset. Second is, uh, you know, the, uh, the pricing of the asset. Uh, we believe with uh, the great asset uh, and then, uh, you know, a very compelling pricing, uh, there will be success, just like what we have seen with some of the successes against uh, many, many uh, disappointments. Can you disclose what your SPAC is called? Uh, ABGI, ABGI. Okay. Yeah. And focusing, I just want to turn our attention back to the fund just for a moment. How big of a role would you say AI is playing in the healthcare sector in general? And what proportion of the portfolio is allocating you know, capital to these companies that are delivering really groundbreaking AI in uh, the healthcare sector? Yeah, I mean, AI is no longer just a concept, uh, no longer just a bunch of geeks uh, working on a computer work models. You know, we really see we're very much involved. In fact, I can talk about specific examples all in the public domain. AI is playing an uh, increasingly important role in healthcare uh, across the board. I mean, I will say one thing uh, that certainly is becoming more and more clear is uh, imaging. Uh, using AI to analyze uh, image, right? When you look at an MRI, a CT scan, uh, also pathologists, you know, these uh, uh, businesses uh, increasingly will be driven uh, by AI. Uh, in addition to um, uh, you know human input, uh, you know you've got uh, a very experienced pathologist uh, will always be useful, but they will you know increasingly leverage uh, the power of AI more and more as uh, these AI technologies become more and more mature and more and more proven uh, with uh, more and more data validating their uh, value propositions, right? Uh, and then the second also, uh, in fact, uh, Alibridge and this is the public domain, you know, we uh, recently have uh, invested a significant amount of money uh, in this uh, AI-driven drug discovery company uh, based in Cambridge, UK, uh, which completed a successful uh, DSPAC merger with uh, Europe's largest SPAC. Uh, so now after the successful uh, merger, uh, in which Alibridge played a, a significant role. We uh, have been following the company for a while, uh, not only us, uh, but also the Singaporean and Sovereign Wealth Fund, Tomasek, a you know giant global pharmaceutical company, AstraZeneca, you know, have all been investors in the company. Uh, and Alibridge has been um, uh, teaming up with these uh, uh, key uh, uh, fellow shareholders on helping the company to go to the next level to further validate uh, the power of AI for discovering new drugs. And, you know, still early, but uh, we've seen some very encouraging uh, developments uh, proven in the clinic, and there's a lot more to come uh, as these technologies, as I said, 
becoming more and more proven uh, in the clinic, not just, uh, uh, you know, uh, in terms of the mathematical models, computer models, but uh, at the end of the day, in our business, they have to be proven in the clinic. Yeah, and that sounds like really great groundbreaking um, technology in the drug space. So can you, you mentioned it was public knowledge. Can you talk about the company so we can follow it? Uh, you know, it's, it's a Cambridge UK based company. Uh, and as you know, I would say everything I talk about is uh, in the public domain uh, and is very transparent. They already uh, discovered a number of uh, novel drug targets uh, and has shared that with uh, their uh, strategic partners, whether it's uh, uh, AstraZeneca, and also their first uh, validation came in during COVID. Uh, they actually, through their AI platform, they discovered uh, this uh, drug that was uh, uh, commercialized by Eli Lilly for a different indication. Uh, but they discovered through their own uh, AI uh, engine that this drug could be very effective uh, treating some COVID patients. So they took it to uh, Eli Lilly, uh, and then uh, shortly afterwards, uh, the drug was proven and it becoming a COVID drug. Uh, that was in a uh, great validation of this uh, AI uh, approach to discovering something so quickly and so cost uh, effectively. Uh, and and it's something that uh, really works uh, in the clinic as well as in the commercial market. Look, in the listed space, we really do like Eli Lilly. Um, and I think Candice and I have a little bit of research to do on that Cambridge University company. Now, your last fund, you invested $679 million over 20 different companies, which accounts for about 86% of the fund size. Am I right in saying that? Uh, it's uh, very close. Uh, in fact, uh, we uh, completed uh, our 21st investment just uh, last week. So we got a 21 investments. Uh, the total investment of, yeah, uh, nearly uh, 700 million. So you're not far off. It's pretty accurate. Not far off. And look, we also know that you invest in the fund yourself personally. So you really put your money where your mouth is, which is fantastic and something we tell our listeners to do. Um, can you give us an example of a recent investment that really stands out to you? Why did you invest in it? What have the returns been so far? And where do you see that investment going in the near term? Yeah, I mean, uh, we made a several uh, investments over the past uh, several weeks. In fact, uh, Australia has been a very turned out to be a very productive uh, uh, place for me uh, visiting because during the past uh, several weeks, we closed uh, three new deals. Uh, one I talked about is a benevolent AI, this AI drug discover company, and uh, we were able to um, lock in some uh, downside protection. Uh, mechanisms for our investment, you know, so uh, we already uh, supported in the money on that investment. And then uh, also we invest in a Silicon Valley medical device company called Every Medical. Uh, this is not public yet, but I can uh, say that uh, we uh, closed that investment. A public press release will come out very soon. And this is uh, a post-FDA uh, medical device company to treat uh, nasal obstructions uh, in the ENT space. Anybody Who's a doctor? This is an ENT ear, nose, uh, throat uh, space, and it's office procedure, very fast, and then with superior safety and efficacy, and already generating um, uh, tens of millions of dollars of revenue, uh, and then growing very fast. And uh, this is a very, very similar to the first two investment made by the last fund uh, that a Shaw Brothers uh, through your Peter um, Fund participated in, uh, Pulmonics uh, and uh, Vanclos which were invested uh, through the fund in 2019 and both uh, exited 
so this uh, recent investment, Aero Medical, is a very, very similar uh, to those two, right? Uh, and also we invested in a life science tools company also in Silicon Valley. That is a, a single cell uh, DNA sequencing and a protein uh, analysis company. Because when people talk about precision medicine, in the most technical terms, that has to be based on the most precise understanding of the genetic mutations and therefore single cell level DNA sequence uh, and a protein analysis. And therefore we invest in that. Um, you know, so these are good examples of our most recent investments. There's no, absolutely no kind of binary risk. And, uh, you know, already these companies generate significant revenues and uh, very much de-risk. And there's still a lot more to come for their value creation. I'd just like to jump in there while, while you're on that um, path of momentum, Frank. And, and just to address, um, Felicity, your um, question before about private equity and what I look for in private equity as an asset class in general and, and Frank's attribute. The thing about private equity versus the buying shares on you know on the stock market, hold her prey, I guess, passive investing, is that when you invest in private equity or back someone like Frank, uh, Frank being a leader in his field, is that he's actively involved with the companies. He uh, provides tremendous influence. He sometimes sits on the boards of, uh, of companies. I think he sits on four boards currently. And um, it, it's about influence and, and guiding these companies. So that Alibridge is such a strong brand name um, and it continues to become stronger and stronger as therefore a lot of these companies seek Alibridge's tremendous deep dive due diligence and foresight and also guiding them how the best way to access capital may not be via public listing, might be securing uh, capital from their own fund, leading a capital round, which, which is exactly what Alibridge do. They, they lead and very seldom co-lead around. Uh, of financing for these companies, but also the mastermind behind it and Frank's in-depth experience is M&A, mergers and acquisitions, which he's been doing his entire life. And if he, if he needs to find a, a strategic investor or, or work with strategics, that, that, is what, that is what he does. That is what the, the fund does. So we're really talking about strategic investments that uh, Ali Bridge is focusing on. And um, I find that that really clears the path and speeds up the process of having these companies reach their goals a lot sooner than what they would have. And you're really dealing in, 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 in a place and uh, in the Northern Hemisphere where you're finding that there's a lot of activity in the M&A space, which we, we probably wouldn't find that much here in Australia. Like you'd find it a hundred times multiple of, of, of mergers and acquisitions happening in that part of the woods. And 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 just, just on another flip side, I mean, you know, you hear about companies in the fund but what about all the companies that the other 99 companies that uh, frank turns away there's some really funny funny companies he was just talking to me we were in the cab i think this, the, the the second road show and he was talking to me about prostate removal guided surgery which uses compressed water so basically it's uh, through the urethra uh, you remove it in an hour and you walk home and there's a zero chance of erectile dysfunction <laughs> i thought it was awesome and uh in it. He didn't invest in it. And I thought every guy would have gone for that. But anyway, just a bit of lighthearted entertainment here. Oh, we love that. And I guess um, touching on uh, the point you just raised, Julius, you are right. The fund predominantly is North American, US based. Over to you, Frank. Why is that? You know, why is Europe and Asia and like Julius said, Australia, you know, there's not much appetite uh, for that. And then, then I have a follow up question for you, Julius. Don't you worry. Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, look, um, I mean, the U.S. is by far 
uh, the most advanced uh, in life science innovation. Uh, and then by far uh, the largest, the deepest, and the most liquid market for venture capital, growth capital, uh, and a public investing, and M&A. Uh, therefore, you know, so really the key drivers of our uh, pivoting uh, towards the U.S., number one is uh, we only want to be involved in cutting-edge technologies. Uh, I mean, you know, U.S. is not, you know, 100 out of 100 percent, but still great technologies in uh, elsewhere in the world, in Europe, Asia, and Australia, and others. But the U.S. Is, uh, has the lion's share uh, of the most cutting-edge technologies for many very good reasons. Uh, and number two, also, uh, because the capital market and every part of the capital market is so uh, large, deep, and liquid. Therefore, in terms of uh, further financing as well as the exits, because we are fund investors, uh, we're not a charity or endowment. Uh, you know, we always have to focus on when to exit. Sooner or later, we have to exit. So if you don't have a very liquid markets for exits, this is a huge problem with us, with our investors, right? Uh, you know, so I would just say that the U.S. is by far the most liquid market for exits, whether it's IPO. OK, I can tell you that uh, for now, the IPO market, uh, the secondary financing market is pretty much shut down. But we also have now, uh, uh, you know, increasing active M&A market and, uh, you know, all these strategic, i.e. the big players in the industry, big pharma, big biotech, they have a multi, multi-billion dollar war chest sitting there and looking for praise. Uh, that's the kind of market that we're operating, you know? So, uh, I think right now the public market is extremely bad, uh, but we are very busy, uh, with our portfolio companies, uh, for strategic discussions with potential, uh, acquirers. So that makes a lot of sense, Frank, I guess, because you're heavily involved in the U S um, market, I, I would love to hear your insights in what you think the U S economy is looking like currently. We're hearing a lot that economists are saying, supposedly inflation has peaked. But actually, let me let me let me address that. Volunteer to address that. I, I would say that uh, I personally strongly uh, believe uh, the market will continue to be very volatile. There's no way I can call anything like uh, bottom or you know inflation peak because anybody who predict that uh, will prove to be extremely um, uh, take on a high risk you know, with uh, uh, their credibility uh, because there are a lot of uh, moving parts because we have a huge uh, uh, geopolitical uncertainty on top of uh, uh, the inflation outlook in the U.S. You know, so it's a very, very dynamic interplay of uh, multiple factors well beyond uh, any of our control. Uh, however, as a private equity investor, uh, this is a great window of opportunity. Uh, when you have a dry powder to invest uh, and then you are able to cherry pick the best assets, uh, not the best, uh, the bad assets, because in this kind of market, everything looks cheap. Uh, but then you only focus on the best assets on a much better uh, valuation uh, and then uh, just focus on executing the business without being distracted by what's going on in the uh, public market. I think this is a, a, a golden opportunity for very well-respected private equity investors. All right. Well, to wrap it up, Julius, why do you think investors can't ignore an investment in the PA space? And do you think this decision is even more prudent given the current market conditions? That's an excellent question, Felicity. I think that um, with, the, with the volatility of the market and there's so many moving parts in the economy that it, it's really, really difficult to predict where to go, where to hide even, and, and which asset class are predicted to be the best performing. And 
And I think with the thing of private private equity, you can really find refuge in terms of timing, in terms of you've got time on your side, you've got uh, no volatility or, or low volatility, but also you're, you're somewhat safeguarded to, um, to many factors uh, in terms of, you know, when you're exposed to liquid assets, say, for example, um, uh, money markets, um, currency exchanges and stock markets, you're you're in a whirlwind of volatility, uh, especially the bond market with your question before on inflation, you know, rates are going up, the 10 year bond rates at 3%. So, you know, people here in Australia pulling out their hair going, should I hold Commonwealth Bank shares yielding a 4% or should I hold something risk free 10 year bond rate at 3%? Um, what do I do? So, you know, there's a lot of moving parts. So you've got inflation going up, you've got potentially Russian Russian threats, which um, are just unforeseen. You can't predict that. So I think with coming back to private equity, uh, but, but even a step safer than private equity, healthcare private equity, which is a, a consumer staple and it's somewhat proven um, over 100 years, a defensive space that um, humankind really need that. I think that with Frank's fund that coming back to time on your side, when you're seeing valuations being compressed in equity markets, that eventually will flow through to private equity. And Frank is seeing it. And Frank being a leader in his field, he is and will be picking up very, very high value assets on the back of that. And I think that once equity markets stabilize, in my career, I've been through the GFC.com, Asia crisis, COVID, markets do stabilize eventually. This may take up to 24 months, but when they do, I strongly predict a, a valuation pop in Frank's fund. Thanks, Julius. That is some really great insights. Now, as a fun way to end our conversation, we like to ask all of our guests the same question. So we'll ask you, Frank, first. Coffee, tea or tequila? Uh, tea. What kind of tea? Green tea. Yeah, because uh, for life science, uh, tea, uh, green tea has a lot of antioxidants, uh, which is uh, uh, healthier. So we all need to drink a little bit more green tea. And Julius, I think I know what you're going to say, but coffee, tea or tequila? Tequila. Tequila, when you deal in financial markets, you must go to tequila. All roads go to tequila. It's an upper. It's a natural <laughs> probiotic. It ticks all the boxes and it makes me feel like I'm on the coast of Mexico. <laughs> Well, thank you guys for taking the time to chat with us. It's been really great and our audience is going to absolutely love this episode. Thank you so much. Uh, Great pleasure. Thanks, guys. Wow, that was a fantastic chat. I learned so much, Felicity, and I just really loved hearing all the insights into the private equity market and in particular, obviously, what Frank's really good at, the life science space. Definitely need to do that research on that Cambridge company he was talking about, which is in the AI drug space. Um, but before we sign off, guys, as always, as a reminder, please remember, although we are registered financial advisors at Shore and Partners, the discussion today obviously does not constitute as personal financial advice. As always, you should seek professional financial advice before you make your investment decisions. And please make sure you follow us on at Talk Money To Me podcast for daily market updates. And if you enjoyed this podcast, make sure you give us a review five-star only on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And remember, if you've got any questions or you'd like us to pass on anything to Frank or Julius, contact us at tmtm at equitymates.com. Until next time. Ciao, ciao. 
Talk Money to Me is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. Equity Mates gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by a range of financial service professionals. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Talk Money to Me are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Equity Mates Media does not operate under an Australian financial services license and relies on the exemption available under the Corporations Act 2001 in respect of any information or advice given. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equity Mates website where you can find the ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equity Mates Media and the hosts of Talk Money to Me acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. 